We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. in a little bit late. Again, my name is Brian, the lead pastor. Welcome to you. Those who are watching us online in the middle of the week right now. Soon we'll be live with you. But uh, we want to make sure that you know that our mission statement here, whether it's digital or in person, is the same. To be able to lead people to discover Jesus and follow him fully. It's why we're here. It's why we, what we want to help you do and take your next steps to know who Jesus is. So any way we can help you do that, that's why we're here. But we also hope that you know that when you come through these doors, we just want you to come as you are. We don't think you need to be a dressed up, more cleaned up version of yourself to discover who Jesus is and follow him fully. So whether you believe in God or don't believe in God or somewhere in between there, you need to come as you are. That's just how you are and God is going to welcome you that way. So we hope that you know that. We hope that you would come as you are, maybe not stay as you were, that as you uh, find out who Jesus is, you'd lean into him a little bit more and he's got great plans for your life, but we want you to know that you're welcome any way that you came today. Uh, guys, we're in the middle of a series, and we're going to be diving into a certain section of Scripture today. So if you have your Bibles out, uh, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is where we'll be at. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or if you didn't bring your Bible or you need a Bible, we have free Bibles for you in the back. We'd love for you to take one of those. Or the final way you can do that is on the app, Crossroads Grace, uh, the Crossroads Ace app. It's all there for you, and we'll have it up on the screens for you. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is where we'll be at. Just to give you a heads up, I'm going to take a little bit longer to get to 1 Corinthians 6. So don't freak out if you're like, does this guy ever talk about the Bible? I do, all right? We're going to get there. Just be patient with me. We've got a little bit longer runway to get there today. Uh, but as you do that, let me explain. Stronger is the series that we're in. And Stronger is about how we can be strong as single people in the world today. And, and, and this is really important. A big, big conversation for us to have because it's one of the fastest growing populations in the world. Because some people are single because they choose it. Some people are single because of divorce or maybe death. Or some people don't want to be single, but they're waiting for that right person to come in their life. And recently, there's a lot of people becoming single because the 49ers lost the Super Bowl and things got really weird, man. Like, I don't know, you know? It just happens. But because of all those different people that are out there, the internet has been so kind to try to find different ways to connect people. And you find all kinds of crazy dating websites on the internet. I mean, there's one that is clowndating.com. Like, if you want to date a clown, you can. Some ladies have told me that they've actually dated clowns before and they didn't have to use that website. Did you? There, you, there it is. Good. There it is a little bit later. This other one is a little odd. It's called Diaper Mates. So apparently if you like to wear oversized diapers as a person, you could date someone. Or this one is actually Mullet Passions. Uh, the tagline is, it's single sporting a mullet to be able to network together. So you and yours with your mullet can get together. Uh, but the one that was probably the most disturbing to me and most concerning as far as the world in general uh, was this one. It's called Personals.com. Um, it is called Where Cat Lovers Greet and Meet is the Connection Point. So this, this is horrifying if you, if you ask me to just to be honest with you. But you'd be, it's crazy to think that with all these fine filters that we have out there, why anyone is single to begin with. Because you can find your soulmate, you can find your cat scratching post mate, whatever you're looking for. 
But shockingly, the number of people that are single is just rising every day. But you know what number also is rising? Is the number of people that don't want to be alone. Yeah, people still want relationships. They're just not looking for the commitment or the societal pressure that marriage brings on. And this is true for Christians and for non-Christians alike. Which is why being single, even as a Christian, is, is becoming increasingly hard. Because sadly, the same pressures that someone that doesn't believe in Jesus are, are the exact same ones that someone that does believe in Jesus are experiencing. Which is why it takes a great deal of strength to be single in our world today. And why we call this series Stronger. Because the actual definition of the word strong is so fitting for us. Because it says, able to withstand great force or pressure. So, so to be single in our world, you are going to have to withstand great forces and able to withstand great pressures also. Especially as you desire to have God present in your life, this becomes increasingly harder. Which is why we are looking at three distinct areas of the life of being single that are very important for us to know. And that is through identity, purity, and security. Identity, purity, and security. And, and if you're here today and you're not single, you might be thinking, well... This is kind of where I can buzz out the side doors because this ain't for really for me, Pastor B. And, and if that's you, I just would ask you not to, not to let yourself miss out on this today because really for three main reasons. And the first is, is that our single population have, have been asked to sit through sermons on relationships and marriage and asked to glean points from these things. And, and honestly, I think if it's true for them, it's true for us too. That I believe God has something for all of us, no matter what state of relationship you might be in here today. And the second thing is, is that we all struggle in these areas. Identity, purity, and security is not just a single issue. This is an everybody issue. And so as we wrestle with these, we have to understand, what do we do with them? How do we? And I'm going to show you exactly how this all fits in as we go throughout this series. And then finally, the reason that our couples in our marriage should not check out during the series is that single people need you. They need you more than you might know. They need to see you in a relationship, just, just killing it in your relationship. Not killing each other, right? But killing it, like just doing great in it because we, will, we reflect what we see. And so if they see marriages and relationships that are loving Jesus and doing good, that's what they'll reflect, and they know that they can bounce real-life issues off of you. So we need you here today. So with all that in mind, we dove into the series. It's called Stronger. Last week, we started off by looking at the question of identity, that the question really we ask ourselves is, who am I in this world? Who, who am I in this world? And if you didn't know, the world is very quick to want to give you an answer to that. They've had all kinds of things that they want to tell you that this is how you should be and what you should do. We said it over and over that our identity needs to be rooted in Jesus first. We need, we need to let his name be written on the bottom of our boot, the boot of our life, so we know whose we are. Which is why we ultimately said this line, that your identity tells you who you are and whose you are. That, that way you'll know who you are, but you only know who you are by Whose you are. And, and, and this, this theme of identity will carry us all the way through this entire series, especially today. Because today we're going to talk about purity. But, but let's just be really honest from jump here today, if we can. Like, is there anything more antiquated to our world than purity today? 
Like, is there anything? It, it, it's, it, I mean, having, not having sex before you're married is like driving a horse and buggy to high school. Like, that's how antiquated it is. Nobody, who does that anymore? But as I thought about this and sat back and wrestled with this question a little bit, what I realized was that, that Christians oftentimes get the reason that God wants us to be pure wrong a lot of times. Not that what God said is wrong, because what he says is true and pure and is exactly what we need to do, but the way in which we approach the justification for why God says what he says about purity, we oftentimes kind of mess up. Because usually what we'll do when we find somebody that's like, um, like, like not is having sex before marriage and we, we kind of identify them, what we'll do is that we will pull out our judgmental finger right out of our holster, okay, and we'll locate the person that we need to identify and we will say, God says stop sleeping with each other! And we'll, we'll blow it and we'll put that thing right back into our holster, you know? Because here's what we do. And then we'll sit back and we'll say, well, that should do it, right? Now you understand. Now that you're pure, let's go get some in and out together, you know? Now, I don't know about you, but I've never experienced that ever working. I've never seen anyone melt into a pool of sexual repentance because of some words that were bellowed behind this judgmental finger. Never, ever realized that. And the reason that this doesn't happen is that we are trying to solve the outside issue of having sex before marriage without ever taking the time to understand the inner core issue of why God said it in the first place. And so to do that, I think we need to understand why people feel as though being pure is not a reality for them. Why it doesn't, shouldn't matter for them. And, and really, so much of the reason this is happening is because of a cultural ideology that has permeated our thinking. And it goes something like this. It's my life, so I can do what I want with it. Or, or maybe more specific for today's conversation, the idea that it's my body, I can do what I want with it. Anybody heard that before? Like you heard this reasoning before? And, and what this basically is saying is that I have the right to do whatever I want to do with my life because I'm in control. And I can choose what I do and what I don't do. So, so let's look at this statement logically just for a second for the moment. For, for instance, this idea that it's my life, I could do what I want to. Now, in reality, the, the, the idea that I could do what I want is somewhat true. I'm, if, if you want to, you could choose not to go to work and not to brush your teeth and not to follow the law. You could do all of those things. However, that also means if you choose to not do those things, then you will have no money, no teeth, and no freedom. Right? That's just how it goes. So while practically there is freedom to do whatever you want, there's also valid reasons that you are asked to do certain things and not do certain things in this life. And, and more times than not, the reason that's given is for us to avoid the consequences of what happens if we don't do it or if we do do it. For instance, if the U.S. Department of Health says that we shouldn't smoke cigarettes anymore. The reason that they say that is not so that you won't look cool at parties, but so that you won't get lung cancer and die. That, that, that's why they tell you those things. So while we do have the choice to do what we want, there is also logical reasons that we should deny some of those freedoms. What about that other part of the statement there, this idea that it's my body and I could do with it whatever I want? 
Well, well, this has been the liberating rallying cry for our world for all kinds of different things. This idea that I can do whatever I want with my body is why people will get sunburned to get a base tan before they go on vacation. You know, that, that's why. It's my body. I can fry it up if I want to, you know? But it's also the reason why people sleep with whatever, whoever they want, whenever they want. It's also the reason that was given why babies can be aborted. It's my body. I can do what I want. But, but there's a flaw in the reasoning for a couple of reasons that I just want to see. And the first one has nothing to do with God at, at all. It has to do with moral logic. So if you're here today and you don't believe in God or you don't believe in Jesus, at the very least, would you lean in and consider this idea? That while the statement is true, it's, it's your body, you can do with it what you want. What, although it might be true, it's really only partially true. It's not ironclad. Because deep down, we know that we can't do whatever we want with our body. If you decide that you want to sell your body for money, that's called prostitution and you'll go to jail. So even though you want to do that with your body, the law says you can't. If, if you want to give your body over to illegal drug testing and that the FDA doesn't approve, that also is illegal and you'll get in trouble for that. So you can't do that. So even though the law won't tell you who you can and can't sleep with overall, it will tell you what you can't do with your body so as to protect you. So even the world at large deep down knows that your body has value beyond just the physical act of sex. But the second reason that this idea that it's my body, I can do whatever I want to, has a flaw, is really from the angle that what God says. And so again, if you don't believe in God here, or you're not sure about this Jesus thing, you, you could take a step back. But if you believe in Jesus here today, I want you to consider, especially when it comes to this idea of it's my body. That it's my body. A few months ago, we did a series where we wrestled with this idea that we think that our stuff is ours. That we could do with our stuff whatever we want to do. It's the same free will, re free will reasoning that we use for our life. Just as God has no right to tell me what I should do with my stuff, we also are saying, God, you have no right to tell me how I spend my body either. Or my life either. But the error in thinking that about our stuff, that it's all our stuff, is assuming that it was ours to begin with. And the error in thinking that it's our life and we could do whatever we want to with it is assuming that we gave ourselves life in the first place. Because the true question we have to wrestle with is, who is the ultimate owner? Who is the ultimate owner? Because whoever the ultimate owner is of something is the one who can say what is done with it or is not done with it. So let, let, let me give you a little example of this, what this might look like today. Uh, let's pretend for a second that, that I have a friend who owns my favorite sports car of all time. I don't have this person. I would love to have this person. If you are this person, let's talk. But let's pretend like I know someone that has my favorite sports car, which is a black Lamborghini Countach. That is my favorite car. It's a little retro, I know. I'm a little retro. It's my dream car. Get up off me. All right, this is my dream. You have your dream, okay? Let's just say a Lamborghini Countach Black. It's everything I've ever wanted. I go over to my friend's house and take a look at it, and they say, you know what? Why don't you take it for a spin? Just go ahead and drive it around. And after the drool gets off the floor, like I actually get into the car, and I bring the wings down, you know, and then I take off, and I start going on I-5. And I'm going on I-5, and all of a sudden something comes to me. I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to do something. I am going to sell this car. Yeah. Right? 
So I go over to the, to the CarMax and I pull in. I'm like, hey, I uh, got a Lambo Countach. What do you want to give that for me? Yeah, sounds good. Take whatever money they give me, put that in my pocket, and then somehow I get back home to my friend's house. And, and, I, and, I, and I'm not even like, not, not even beating around the bush. I'm like, hey, guess what? Hey, sold your car for you. Uh, and here's why I kind of did it. Uh, because I was driving it, so I felt I had the right to do what I wanted to do with it. Now, what do you think? Do you, do you think I have the right to do that? Uh, yes, somebody says yes. Sweet girl, love you so much. That's my friend with the Lambo right over there. Of course I didn't, right? Why? Because I wasn't the ultimate owner. It wasn't mine to sell. All $380,000 of it was not mine to sell. Now, where am I going with all this? See, we think that our lives are ours to do what we want with them, but that's assuming we're the ultimate owner. But we're not. We're not. Genesis tells us, Genesis 1.27. So, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The psalmist tells us this. It says, for you created my inmost being. You, God, knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Jeremiah would say, before I formed you, God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So gang, listen to me. We are not the ultimate owners of our life. Amen. Why is that? Because we cannot create ourselves. Only God can do that. So if in the beginning God created us, he knit us together inside our mother, he knew us before we were born, then he is the one who gave us the life that we have. Therefore, he is the ultimate owner. And God didn't create a science experiment. He created us with love and the hope that we actually would live the life he gave us to the full. But before you start thinking, well, okay, did he just make a bunch of robots and we have no say in this whole thing? Like, does God not give us a choice? No, no, no. God created us and he loved us enough to actually give us free will, to give us a choice. And that choice is not only how we choose to live our life, but also how we choose whether or not we love God, if we love Jesus at all. So here's probably where you start to think, well, okay, well, here's the deal. That's great. I will just choose not to follow God, and then I'll be on my own. I'll be my own master. Problem solved, Pastor B. I'm totally fine. Not so fast. Because it's not really a problem solved. It's a problem that just got multiplied. Because now you have set yourself apart from God and you've chosen to be under new management and that new management is in the world. And the world is not interested in you living your life to the full. It's only interested with taking your life with every breath that you breathe. And so it will take your identity, your love, your forgiveness, your mercy, your security, your purity, because it doesn't want anything to do with any of those things because those are exclusive to God and God alone. And remember, we didn't want anything to do with God. And so with that, we, we void all those things. So in the free will choice that we have, we are choosing a different master altogether. And you should know that that master has a name and his name is Satan. Yeah. That, that, that sin that is in our life 
Now is what masters us. And I know this is unpopular for people to hear about, and it gives you the heebie-jeebies, but I'm just telling you that there is a spiritual battle going on right now. Right now, all around us. And it has nothing to do with missiles or bombs or aircraft carriers. It has to do with the powers of darkness that are all around us. And when you tap out on God and say, no, God, I'm going to go my own way, you have aligned yourself with, into that other battle by yourself. And you will not win that battle. The world wants you to do that because Satan is the master of evil and he's also the master of deceiving you into thinking that your life is your own to maximize to your own benefit. And can I just say something? All of us have done that. All of us have done it. No one is free from entering this world apart from God. And all of us have gone out there on our own. In fact, Paul will tell us in Romans 3 this very thing. For all. Now, the Greek word all means all. Uh, so, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all y'all. Like me too. We all have done it. We're all guilty. But... That does not mean that we still don't have a choice. Because when we choose Jesus into our lives, he becomes savior over everything. And when that happens, everything changes. It has to change. Because listen closely to how Paul describes it in Galatians 2. He says, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what Paul just said flies in the face of everything the culture says. Because it says, I no longer live. Well, if I no longer live, that must mean that I died. And so in order for me to still live, what happens? Well, that's because Christ now lives in me. That my old life is over, I got a new life that's filled with Jesus, and Christ now lives in me. You live completely different because everything is different. But listen, that does not mean that your free will or your choice goes away. Because can we just be honest, in some way, if that was true, that would be awesome. Like if we accept Jesus in our life and all of a sudden temptation is gone, anxiety is gone, we no longer love cats, like all of these really bad things in our life, like all of a sudden it's gone, wouldn't everyone want to be a Christian? You know, sign me up, I got some scoliosis, Jesus, boing, like everything is fine. Like wouldn't everyone want that? Listen guys, we still have choices. We still have temptations that in, are in front of us, especially when it comes to purity, that are right in front of our face. Which is why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, told you we'd get there, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says this. Paul says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, now, does this sound familiar at all to you? I have the right to do anything, the people said. Well, maybe we aren't as advanced as we thought here. Because if the people in 53 AD were using the exact same rationale to justify why they were doing as we are using in 2020 AD, 
Don't you think that maybe what Paul says might still be effective today? And so Paul says, hey, you say you have the right to do anything. That's true. But that doesn't mean you should. Why? Because you're living differently, he says. You have chosen different ownership. You have a different master. His name is Jesus. And, and what Jesus says is he says, hey... If you want to do something different with all the stuff that you're faced with, all the stuff that you want to do with your body, especially when it comes to your purity, hey, I, I got something different I want you to consider. I, I want you to lean into what I say. And, and Paul tells us what we should do, actually, with this. And if you jump down to verse 18, Paul goes on to tell them, they says, he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, what Paul just said here is really important. You're wondering, how in the world do I stay free of all this stuff? Here's the deal. He says, you flee. He is saying, what I want you to do is run, baby, run away, right? Do not mess around with it. Don't get mastered by it. I want you to run. Don't mess around. Why? Why would he say this? You're like, wait a second. Like, like let's just be honest. Sex is a really cool thing. Why would everybody want to run away from that? Let me give you an example. I gotta get something though. Hang tight. Anybody remember when the ice cream van came around the neighborhood? Like, anybody remember that? You know? You know, that was so crazy. And you're like, hey, look, there's a van with no windows and a guy that wants to talk to you. Go get him, kids. That sounds like a great idea, you know. Now, with our kids when they were younger, um, what we would tell them, this is a little parenting tip for y'all, okay. So what we said is when the, when the ice cream guy came around with the music and everything playing, what we would say is when the music was playing, it meant that the ice cream truck was empty. Um, so... <laughs> You're welcome, right? <laughs> so you probably should know the horror that they had when they're at their friend's house, and all of a sudden they realize that thing was packed to the gills when that thing was going, right? But anyway, uh, my kids and I, we still love ice cream. In fact, every Friday, what we'll do is we'll go to the Big Dipper in Escalon, where we live, and after school, we go and we get some ice cream. Now, now it never fails, though, that when we get there, my kids, again, we go every Friday, Every time they'll come up, they'll look at the vast array of all the ice creams, and they'll do what they do every time. They'll get one of those, those, those taste-testing spoons, and they'll say, um, can I try the, and I'm like, wait, you've tried everything. Now, can I try the mint chocolate? Yeah, and so she's, and Brittany's so kind. She's like, yeah, you bet, you know. And so they get a little, little taste, you know. And then you've got the clean one, and then the used one, so you've got to put it in there, right? And then my son will be like, hey, yeah, can I try the, I'm like, dude, you have, nah, I want to do what Sissy does, right? So she gets, he gets a little bite. You know, and then they put it in the unused thing. And they want to try it to figure out what they want to get, you know? Now, here's the thing. This is the exact same thing that we do in our sexual life. 
But the problem is, is that we only have one life. We only have one spoon. And, and so what we, we do when we decide that we're going to go outside God's way of doing this is that we just say, well, you know what, I, I, need, to, I need to sample everything, you know, I, I need to try it. But the problem is we have the same spoon, and so we, oh, well, I need to, I don't try that, mm. you know, I, I don't know, but, you know, I, maybe, you know, that was good, but I haven't had, you know, and, and so what we'll do is we'll constantly just try everything, and we'll sample everything. But the problem is, is that our spoon becomes really used, doesn't it? That, that, that we have somehow taken this thing that God says, hey, I, I want you to keep it this way. And, and we've decided to, to use it how we want to use it. And, and it really, there, there's a couple problems that, that come up with this. And the, the first is that I see so many people that filled up on samples that they never have room for what God really wanted in their life. They've, they've never actually understood what God really, really wanted. And, and, and the, the second problem is very similar, is that if, if this is what we think life is, that we forget what God really wanted to give us. And what God wanted to give us, he's like, I want you to have the whole thing, baby. Right? I want you to hold out for the big spoon. I want you to feel like William Wallace, like, right? You know, like, I want you to feel, hold out. Don't settle for this. Wait for this. Because God's way is like, oh my goodness, so much better. And although the sample might be good in the moment, I'm telling you, this is what will last for a lifetime, for an eternity, for a marriage of people that say, you know what, I'm in it with you no matter what. That I want to experience the best God has for us, not just the average for us. And so when we wait for this, this is when things start to really come into place. And God is saying, wait for the big spoon, man. Just wait. And if you do that, God is just waiting to say, well done. I want you to see what you've been missing. Now why is this is so beautiful? This is so beautiful. This purity idea is so beautiful because of this. It is the perfect combination. It's the perfect combination of waiting and, and anticipation and faith that erupts into the fullest expression of love the world has ever seen. There is nothing like it. There is no comparison to it. But purity might be the hardest thing, the most painful thing for people that are single today. Because you are not only fighting the physical and the emotional and all the hormones in your body, but you are fighting the world itself. The world is saying, grab a spoon, dive in. But what it doesn't tell you is that you only got one spoon. But why does God care? Really, like why? Isn't this just some natural biological reaction that shh, we just should be okay with, that we don't need to suppress? Isn't this just such a benign act? God, why aren't there greater things to care about than, than my sex life? Really? Well, part of the answer to that is actually in the reality that God loves marriage. Loves marriage. Look in Hebrews. He says, the writer says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. 
So God is saying, listen, marriage is the way this whole thing, I love it so much. He uses marriage analogies all throughout the Bible to describe the the bride of Christ and all of these. Marriage is vastly important. He's saying, because marriage is so important, I want you to keep the marriage bed clean. Go back, guys. Right? I want you to keep it pure. He says, because marriage matters, make sure you're pure. But he also tells us something else that we find in 1 Corinthians that Paul just told us, an even greater reason why we should be pure, and it's more important than being able to wear white down the aisle. Something more important. Look at what he said in verses 19 through 20 again. Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore... Honor God with your bodies. Paul says, I want you to flee from from sexual temptation, from the intrigue that your body is your own to do what you want. Because he said that's not true. He says, listen, he says, honestly, you are not your own. You're not your own. In fact, you were bought at a price. You are that valuable that someone would buy you that wanted to buy you back. And he says the reason is, is because you're a temple. Your body is a temple. Now, what in the world does that have to do with anything? That's a throwback to the Old Testament. And back in the Old Testament, God resided in the temple. The temple was was designed by King David, created by King Solomon. And it was this ornate building that people would come to and they would worship God there because his presence resided there. People would come from all over. But in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. And then you have to say, well, what now? What do we do now? Well, the reality is he didn't need the temple anymore because when Jesus came, he broke down the dividing wall between God and man. And we're free to worship God without walls. But what Paul just said here is that God still needs a place to reside. And he is choosing not a place, but a person. He's residing inside of you and inside of me. And the price for that prime location in your life was paid for by Jesus Christ. That Jesus loved you that much. He is the one that paid the price for your body and my body. For your life and my life. For your soul and for my soul. And now he wants to take up residence inside you and me. The new temple of God. So he says, listen, don't defile the place that I'm going to come and reside Keep it pure until you get married so that I have a place in your life. He's saying, say I do to me first before you say I do to anyone else. And I'll say it this way, that purity isn't just about keeping sex special. It's about how we treat our temple. It's how we retreat the the place in which God wants to reside. He's saying, choose me first. But I know that there's some people here that are wondering about something. And I know that there are people here that have used spoons. And you're wondering yourself, what about me? What does this mean for me? I've got a used spoon, Pastor. I'm not pure before marriage. I'm not even pure in marriage. I don't have pure thoughts in my relationship right now. So, Pastor, does this mean that I'm no good? Does this mean that I'm no good? Because if you're telling me I'm a lost cause, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because at least I know what that is. 
and I've got at least a little glimpse of happiness. So if that's what you're saying, then I'm just going to keep going back to that. And if that's you today, I want you to hear something, not from me, but from Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7, looking in verse 24, we read these words. The writer says, Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. So he goes back to this temple thing again. And what the temple was, is the temple had different divisions within the temple. That the further in that you went, the less people that could go. And the farthest that you could go in was this place called the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is where the actual presence of God resided. And only one person could go into that place one time of year. And that was the high priest. He would go in. He would atone for the sins on one day. But now that the temple is gone, what do we do? And what we just read here is that the, whole, the new high priest is Jesus. That Jesus is our high priest. He's the one that's able to go in front of God for you and me, atone for our sins because he loves us. He is our high priest. But I want you to see one other thing that's really interesting. Look again at what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 26. Such a high priest, Jesus, truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. This word pure in the Greek is the word undefiled. Undefiled. And it is only used twice in the Bible. Only two times. And the other time is a few verses before, in he, in, a few later in Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, undefiled. Now why should that encourage you? Because God knew God knew that there would be dirty spoons in our life. And he knew that your used spoon needed an answer. And so even though we're not pure, Jesus is. He is undefiled. He is undefiled for you and for me. He takes on the dirtiness of our life and he makes us pure because of Jesus. That's what he does for us. Purity is for all of us. And purity, guess what? Purity doesn't stop at the altar. It keeps going our entire life. So if you're in a relationship, don't pressure each other to, to hurt each other's temple. Trust God. In your marriages, we need to maintain being pure with one another, physically and emotionally. I am exhausted and tired of seeing relationships destroyed because of this garbage, because of the lie that you think that your physical needs, your emotional needs are more important than the covenant you made with God. It just hurts me so much to see that because God's got better. Don't buy into that lie. Fight for your marriages. Fight for them. Stay pure to one another. Remember what you said to one another. And if your spouse dies, or if you get divorced, can I just tell you that just because you've experienced the freedom of sex in your relationship doesn't mean that the can is off and you can do whatever you want. I know it's hard, but stay pure. God's got bigger for you in your life. So my friends, if you've jumped off sides, I don't want you to hear guilt from me. I want you to hear grace from me. That you could take your used spoon 
God will wipe it clean with the blood of Jesus and it will be clean ever. And you can experience the fullness that he has for you. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his purity. Know that your temple is important because he resides in you. My friends, this is only possible because of that cross. Because Jesus loved you and I enough not to see us as we are, but to see us how we could be in him. So I don't know how this hits you today. I don't know what you're going through, but I know in a room this size that there are people wrestling with this. And you need to hear that God loves you. His grace is real that he is not pleased with what state you're in right now, but oh my goodness, he's saying, what if you brought me in? What if I could heal you? What if I could make you clean again? So my prayer for all of us as we take communion in a few moments is that we would remember why it's so important. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and my sins. He resurrected, he defeated death, he did all of that. Not so it's a big show, but that you could be free. And you could receive the purity that he wants to give you. My prayer is that we would all experience that today, no matter where you're at. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.